everyone. To the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is the next to last day of November. Um, I don't know why I decided to do the date like that, but I did. Uh, football regular season is technically over. Um, Virginia football has one more game to play after Friday night's loss to Virginia Tech. Basketball team is obviously just uh, kind of getting going. Uh, Cavaliers at 7-0 and after Monday night's 12-point win over Wisconsin in a game that for some reason uh, lit a whole bunch of people um, on fire in terms of things to talk about, whether it was the people deriding UVA and then the, the UVA fans on social media who were basically um, you know, caping up for... Uh, for lack of a better description, uh, for their team. So we're going to talk about a little bit of everything tonight, um, as we are wont to do. Let's go around and introduce everybody up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Soft and a little hesitant, Brad. Thanks for asking. Who Dave's on the board <laughs> at Who Dave's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that was well played. Uh, and staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington is also on the show. How are you feeling, my man? Well, I'm not executing at a high enough level, Brad. Hey, God, I knew you were going to do something, too. <laughs> yeah. His was better, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> His was better. That's okay. I totally flubbed saying my man, so it's okay. All right. Yeah, cool. Uh, at uh, Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter still. And Cavs underscore Corner on Twitter as well. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. I'm all twisted up because I was going to make a joke about staying with you for the military bowl, and then I just, like, the timing was off, and, and I don't know. This is why we record this thing. <laughs> um, I'll fix that in post, except not really. Um, all right. Let's start with uh, with football. Uh, obviously Friday night, not exactly the, the result that folks wanted to see. Certainly wasn't the result we all picked. <laughs> I looked at Ferber in the, uh, in the post game and I, I forget who was, if it was a nine that was on the, at the podium or if it was Bronco. And I said, I said, and we thought Virginia could score 24 points or 28 points. Sorry. Cause we all had them 28, 24. Uh, I don't really want to rehash the game. I, I know Dave just got done rewatching it. You are brace all, um, I kind of want to just get into like going forward. Uh, I wrote a big thing uh, this week about going fast and how I think uh, it's time for the Cavaliers to, to sort of be who they are. Um, I likened it at times talking to you guys, you know, the idea of like, you know, Tony Bennett and his staff coming into Charlottesville and not running the pack line. Um, But maybe the, maybe the go fast um, mantra wasn't necessarily central to, to everything that BYU did, but it certainly became a part of their identity. Uh, later in Broncos' tenure in Provo. Uh, I guess as as we're all waiting for the Military Bowl uh, announcement, as we're waiting for that to become official, um, where where do we stand on Virginia's season to this to to this point? Um, how do we feel about it in light of the 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 loss uh, Friday night? Uh, Ferber, let's start with you. What what's your tip? Your general sort of feel? Uh, for how things have, have gone for UVA this season and, and, and sort of how do you look back on it? Um, I mean, I thought they'd be like a four and eight or so team, and I thought that they could look about as good as they have. Um, there have certainly been some positive surprises. I think the defense is further along now than, than I thought they would be, and, and at times they look dominant. I mean, I, I understand that people are upset about the result from uh, Friday night's game, but they gave up 10 points to an offense that was scoring more than 30 a game. Um, and their one touchdown drive that they allowed was on a 40-yard drive off of a turnover. So, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's hard not to be impressed with, with how they played. They certainly brought it in the game. Um, the offense, of course, you know, we talked about it all year, but they were consi- they were consistently inconsistent throughout the year. Uh, we saw the highs, you know, in Boise and in the first half against Miami, um, in the second half against Georgia Tech. And then you see the lows, um the entire game against Virginia Tech, um, times against North Carolina, a team that they should have probably beaten by more. Uh, obviously, most of the Boston College game, most of the Pitt game. So I, I think that there, there's certainly some retooling that's going to be need you know need to be done there going forward, especially with a change at quarterback anyway. Um, and they still need to figure out the offensive line situation. Uh, but overall, I mean, it was a better season than, than I think a lot of people thought they would have. And, uh, getting to a bowl game is really important just to get these extra practices and, you know, show, uh, recruits that there's some positive momentum around the program. Uh, another thing that I think you can be optimistic about is that Bronco has shown that he can get guys that maybe aren't 
you know, like the blue chip recruits and, and coach them up and make them good players. Uh, and his recruits are, are guys that are, are playing, or at least guys that have started under him, even if they were Mike's recruits, like uh, Chris Moore, for example, or somebody like that. Uh, but, I mean, you get a guy like Brent Nelson in the program who comes in as a walk-on. Uh, that was a good job by them to get him to play football. He didn't come to UVA to play football. I believe he came to run track. And uh, they got him to play football. He stuck with it. And uh, now he's the ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year. So that kind of shows you what good coaching can do for a program uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And now the offense just needs to catch up. And obviously we'll have a little bit different looking group next year with a lot of wide receivers gone and a couple linemen. And then obviously replacing Kurt is going to be a huge uh, ask going forward for this staff. And it seems like they have a pretty good plan for doing that. So we'll see how it plays out. But I, I hope that people don't, I mean, I understand that, that people want to beat Tech and it's really important, but that game's not necessarily a referendum on everything that happened. I mean, there's 12 games. Uh, there were some ups and some downs. Tech is a good team. I mean, they're a top 25 team that won nine games. Um, if that was, uh, you know, a different team and they lost that game, I don't think people would be nearly as you know, disappointed about it. Um, and, I mean, you can't just blow up everything that you've done because you lose to Tech. Um, there needs to be some process in there as well. So I think that they showed this year that, that they can raise the bar. And I mean, if they could build on this next year and have another year like this, having to replace some key pieces, then I think you have to feel pretty good about what this staff is able to accomplish and what the future looks like for this program. I think that's very fair. Um, before I get to you, Dave, I want to, want to follow up on something, uh, further said you, you can't, you can't sort of throw everything away just because of tech. I understand that after 14 years, people are um, are done with moral victories, and I'm not I'm not going to say, well, it's a moral victory. I do think though that one thing we we all talked about in the preseason was we wanted to see progress. Um, you wanted to see some semblance of 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 order. Um, you you know, how's the best way to explain this? Like. Um, it, college football teams, they develop a, on a, on a, on a different curve. Not everything is linear, right? They're not all a, a series of, of straight pretzels and lemon, lemon bars and think, you know what I'm saying? Like everything is straight, right? Not everything's on a line. And so I feel like for fans, it's tough because you do take like two steps forward and then you feel like maybe you take a step and a half or two back. Um, even if you compare tech to tech, right? This year to last year. 10 to nothing feels rough because you feel like uh, the game was right there. And in some ways it was, but at the other same token, it kind of wasn't because tech tech's defense really kind of dictated to the offense. What, what was going to happen? Um, the, the overall sort of feeling though, if you compare this year to last year, I mean, 52 to 10, 10, nothing. I mean, that's a very different sort of game. Um, I was struck by um, the audio that we got from from Quinn and Micah talking about just like, hey, we were right there. And that's not necessarily a um, moral victory in the sense, but it does, I think, show progress. Another thing that kind of stood out to me as I look back at the season is that um, there were ebbs and flows. The team won more games than anybody expected. They did go to a bowl game. Those 350 11-on-11 plays are going to be crucial. Um, you know, like I said, I wrote a column this week that basically said they should use the bowl practice to sort of start the, the transition to going fast because I do think this team looked better with tempo. I thought as a play caller, Robert and I was better with tempo. Uh, I thought that when when they were it, it, even sometimes um, when it didn't when when they started to go, it didn't feel right at the time. They still executed pretty well off of it. Um, but as I look back on this season, you know, I don't have the um, our picks in front of me, but I know I didn't have them going to a bowl game. That in and of itself is an achievement, and it has to be kind of seen as, shut, as such. The the difference though is that you have to think about what's what what you're doing next, and I, and that's you know we wrote a story this week about the the quarterback situation. You know, obviously they're going to lose Quinn and Micah, two of the most reliable tacklers on that defense. Um, that's not to say that they won't find some pieces that can still play the game of football, but you're still having to replace you know legends essentially. Uh, you're you know the uh, a four-time All-ACC guy uh, in Quinn, who was the defensive rookie of the year as a freshman, um, made first team the last three years. Um, he started every game 
of his of his college career. Like that's that's that that kind of con- consistency. Like maybe Quinn wasn't the type of uh, free safety that you wanted, and maybe he didn't, you know, he didn't have the coverage skills, this and that. But the dude was highly productive, and you could count on him. Um, and Micah, I mean, what he did this year on one, basically on one leg is is pretty impressive. Um, to to be the the leading tackler in the ACC again, third nationally at this point. Um, I think I think when you lose those two guys, yeah, you're going to be have some some guys that can fill those holes. But um, you know, you you got to figure out how to move forward without them. And I think that's going to be a big focus, obviously, to the uh, to the off season. Dave, as you look back on on this season, what are some of your your takeaways? Some of your regrets? Um, I always every time I say regrets, now I think of that commercial, the regrets. But what are some of your regrets uh, for the la- for for the last for the last twelve games? I mean, I think if you I think there's two ways to view this season and the prism of the developing program. And then, you know, as, as a entity, all of it's all on its own. Um, in the progress of the program, you think back where we were last year, two and 10, and largely you're returning pretty much the same group of guys. You know, it wasn't a highly rated recruiting class coming in. It wasn't a, you know, Bronco, all of his, you know, all the accolades, he, you know, all, all the, the good coaching we've seen and, and the structure and everything else he's putting in place. Like they didn't sign a, a class, you know, with Andrew Browns and Quinn Blandings in it. So the fact they took a two and 10 team and made it six and six, you know, that alone should be applauded. Um, getting to a bowl game for this program is huge. And especially in a year where, you know, you're going to lose your starting quarterback and, and a number of weapons on offense and Lavrone and, and Dowling and, you know, a couple of, at one time, if not partial starters, um, frequent starters on the offensive line, you know, having these extra practices to, to get the, the young guys, some, whether it's in the new spread you talked, you know, the, the new tempo you talked about in your article or just in whatever they decide to do, you know, practice is practice. It's, it's essentially a free spring and a program in our state. That's huge. Um, when I, when I look at the season by itself, it, you know, if you think back to the beginning of the season, the William Murray game, even though it was a pretty big win, it wasn't a clean game. You know, Virginia had struggled to rush the ball, run the ball well in that game, um, but got the W. And then after Indiana, look, there's a lot of fans who thought that's going to be another 2-10 and 10 season. And then they ran off, you know, what, fought four straight after that. Um, for me, Louisville, Miami, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech at the end of the season, that's a tough stretch. Uh, you went one and one and three in that one. And, you know, I can, I can forget that. All of us want to beat Tech. Um, and we've talked about it last year. Like, we as fans are suffering a 14-game losing streak to them, but that's not all on the staff. Um, so it, I can forgive. I think after watching the rewatch, we played a lot better than it felt we played when you were emotionally invested and in dealing with Hokies for an extremely long tailgating day. Um the game was a lot closer than it felt. Um, even though it was 10, nothing, it felt like it wasn't close real time on the rewatch. It was, I think the most disappointing part of the season for me, um, and what overall was a good season were, were the games at, against BC and Pitt. Like those games are kind of head scratchers to me. Um, you know, at the time it was the talk of we're almost bowl eligible. Is it distracting the players? But, you know, but looking back, getting those two wins, you know, would have been nice. Um, but, but the most disappointing thing to me about the season before I talk about positives again is, you know, we never got better running the ball as the season went on. We, we regressed towards the end of the year with our ability to run, um, which is strange because by that point in the season, there's enough tape of how good Kurt's been playing that you think the fronts would be a little softer. But, you know, in the last Georgia Tech, we ran about 25 times for 97 yards, but against – Louisville, Miami, and Virginia Tech, we combined for 63, oh, well, we had 63, 55, and five yards rushing. Um, that regression, you know, obviously better defenses than we'd seen earlier in the year. But I personally would like to see a little more, a little more game planning to run the ball, you know, to run the ball more and obviously better results. Um, but as a whole, you know, Kurt had an outstanding season. Um, obviously, the game has changed a lot in the last few years, but. Kurt's first Virginia passer ever over 3,000 yards. And let's not take away the fact that he ended the previous season season being benched for Matt Johns and then rotating with him. Um, so for the 
for him as a grad transfer to kind of suck that up, come back and be the leader he was, speaks a lot of volumes to him. Sure, he, yeah, speaks a lot about his his character. Sure, he's got shortcomings, but we wouldn't be where we were without his play this year. Um, and the defense as a whole, I thought was very good. Uh, obviously, having Kaiser and Blanding there to anchor it helped, but the emergence of some young stars and Nelson and Thornhill and Bryce Hall, you know, it's encouraging for the future. Um, now I think it's time for the offense to show us that same, same improvement. And, and you know, you know, if we're, t- we're going to talk about a new standard, I, I think you have to hold the offensive side of the ball to the same standard that Broncos seems to hold the defensive side to. Um, and I'd like to see that moving forward. That's a good point. I I remember back. Uh, I feel like it was we got those what the first first three practice what did we get i forget what we got it was not a lot of oh that's right because it was the first practice that was the that was the um uh the basically it was like a, a workout and we got one practice and then the third practice was another one of those um workout practices because they had changed the schedule and i feel like tim got hurt after that but I remember there was an availability that we had and we could come and we could talk to players and we were standing around talking about like what they were going to do. And I feel like it was Jeff White who said something about the Nelson kid. And I was like, who's that? Um, at this point, I think he was on scholarship. I think he got put on scholarship before the season actually started. Um, if you had told me that that kid was going to be the rookie of the defensive rookie of the year in the league, I would have probably laughed at you. Um, it's pretty remarkable what he what he did. And I think there were a couple times later in the season where Bronco talked about the defense and talked about how a lot of their plans were kind of geared toward sort of how they were going to – like basically the way that they were going to use their defensive backs and that Thornhill at safety was a big part of what they were going to do. And then once Tim got hurt again and they, had to, and they re- decided they had to move Thornhill back to corner um, – a lot of their, their stuff went out the window. Um, but they had, because they had done so much, you know, prep work on it, they, they still had time essentially to sort of to tweak it. And Nelson made it so that they could think about this group next year. Let's assume Tim comes back, um, as, as, as has, you know, been stated the case. Let's even assume that Malcolm decides that the injuries have just taken their toll and maybe it's time. Um, because that's something Micah mentioned, um, in uh, in his post game, um, we'll 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 have a chance to talk to Malcolm until before then. But realistically, let's just assume that that's a thing that happens, right? You're talking about a defense that defense that'll turn both Bryce Hall and Juan Thornhill. They'll get Tim Harris back. Um, they'll have Nelson again. So you, you're and you're going to get you know several defensive backs back who were either hurt um, or um, redshirting this year. Um, you, you know, Jermaine Crowell, for example, would would be back. Um, they probably are going to get Miles Robinson back. Um, my guess is Darius Lattimore uh, will be healthy by then. Um, whether or not he's able to play, uh, I guess is TBD. But they 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 will be very deep uh, in the secondary. At linebacker, there are several young backs. Excuse me, several young linebackers that played. Um, you know, they they lose Micah and they lose um, if they lose Malcolm and then they lose Drew. Um, but they're going to be deeper on the defensive line. Uh, they'll have more time. Those young kids will have had a full season, a full excuse me, a full year in the in the schedule. Excuse me, in the program. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of talent. Now, I'm not saying that losing guys mean you know it's not it's not like they're going to go in the toilet, um, but it's also not like they're just going to you know pop in new talent and they're not going to miss a beat. Two things can be true at the same time. That's my mantra, right? I think you can both say that they're they're gonna they're gonna experience some growing pains defensively, but they do have a lot of talent. Offensively is going to be the, I mean, that's going to be the story for all of next season, right? Um, and and it's very clear to me now. Not only are you losing Ben Kirk, but you're losing, um, you're losing Andre Leveroni, who was he? I mean, he basically was their offense this year in a lot of ways, if you think about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I know Kurt threw to other receivers, and I know other guys didn't have bad years. I know Zacchaeus remains their best player. For some reason, they they still struggle to be able to get him the ball and, and really be able to lean on him. But Lavroni's stuff over the top, I mean, that changed the season. There's no doubt in my mind. They're going to have to replace some pieces. The offensive line has to come together. Um, 
they seem they seem bullish on the young guys on the line. So I'm curious to see how that kind of turns out. But ultimately, I look back on the season and think it was a success um, because you got yourself back to the bowl game. You get those extra practices, um, you know, and, and and yeah, the the quarterback situation is going to be. You know, we, we haven't had to talk about quarterbacks in a while, but then again, a year ago, dudes were rotating in and out against tech. So, I mean, things can 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 sort of come together. Um, I'm curious to see how the staff kind of handles this transition, how they what they do at the quarterback position, uh, given some of the the options they'll have. Um, Brendan Armstrong, obviously going to be one of them. Beyond that, we, we, I think it's safe to say they're going to have uh, a transfer quarterback, at least one um, who's going to be eligible. So there are going to be some options. Spring's going to be kind of telling. Um, the biggest disappointment for me this season was just that they were never able to sort of find any semblance of a running game. Um, I can ding the staff on a handful of nits. I mean, I can, you, you can pick nits here and there. I know for me, I, the, of the, among the three of us, I've talked about how um, in hindsight, you know, playing three true freshman running backs when you weren't really going to run the ball doesn't seem, but I understand that there are other, you know, ways that they have to fit in. There's special teams and they both, they all, you know, they made their contributions. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I think my biggest disappointment this year was the running game. I just, even beyond, you know, Tim and Malcolm not being able to really have an impact on the season, um, the way we, we kind of expected in the preseason, the biggest disappointment to me was the running game. For what do you think your biggest disappointment was for this team this season? Honestly, um, Probably the fact that they could never really establish a kicker. Um, That's a good point, too. I mean, A.J. Mejia was the kicker, and he deserves some credit for making kicks that were, you know, short yardage kicks, but um, that was something that we identified as a problem last year. The staff knew it, we knew it, everybody knew it. Um, And there's a range for A.J. Mejia, it appears, and for the most part, they were were able to kind of use that range to determine what they wanted to do, but... Um, there are probably some times we, we actually talked about it off air earlier today. There are probably a few times earlier um, in the year where they may have gone for it when they could have kicked a field goal or or whatever. You uh, they also missed a few. I mean, the one he he missed on a Friday night kind of looms large, um, especially in a close game like that. I don't want to put it all on him uh, as a kicker, but that's something that they still need to address going forward because it's it still was something where. You didn't really have a ton of confidence in the kicking game outside of, you know, 20, 30 yards. And and it did change the way you sort of looked at the game at times. You know, you sort of knew like, all right, well, they're not going to kick one from here. It would be nice to see them develop um, some sense. I guess I should also say that part of my disappointment was what you guys mentioned earlier, losing those two games. I mean, it makes sense that there would be some sort of weird hiccup somewhere that things wouldn't be linear. Um but at the same time, man, those you, you could have had a, a a really special season. Not to say six and six is not special when you are coming off two and ten, but you could have won both of those games. Um, you know, maybe it maybe at least one of them. Um, it doesn't make me feel any better that that Pitt ended up beating Miami. Um, there were a, there were a bunch of games that were in UVA's grasp, and yet somehow the Cavaliers still lost them by double digits. And I think that is a is something of a takeaway, which is they can get close. Uh, and sometimes not the score doesn't really reflect it, and that that that's that probably is a a function of just just not being consistent. Uh, Dave, what are your sort of disappointments about twenty seventeen? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I, I said earlier, but you know, progression of the of the running game as the season went on. Um, look, you we talked about leading into the season how running back was going to be such a huge strength, right? You had you know Ellis and Ham and. You know Peacock coming in and Atkins and PK Kier, uh, Kier and uh, Chris Sharp, like so many guys you could th- thought could run the ball. Um, and Ellis, you know, what did he end up with? Like what, seven hundred and something yards? I mean, a, a decent season considering we only rushed for eleven eighty six as a team. Um, but you know, I, I thought there was a lot of games that the offensive staff just went away from the run too soon. Um, you know, sometimes you run just to, as, as a threat. You know, looking at the season as a whole, there were only six games where Virginia rushed the ball thirty times um, or more. They were five and one in those games. They were one and five in the other six. So, you know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg argument. Did, did they stop running because it wasn't working or whatever? But, um, you know, it's the easiest way to move the ball. Kurt was very accurate this year overall. It had, 
even though he had like seven interceptions for the season, which is remarkable considering he threw for over 3,000 yards. Um, you know, we, we rushed for an average of 3.2 yards a carry all season. Uh, that's got to get better. And look, we know, we know Kurt's not a, a dual threat guy. Um, and we know Ellis kind of sometimes struggled with, with the blockers, but I felt like given the depth at running back and given the, the red shirts we did use, as you brought up off air, Brad, like, you know, get Atkins a carry, get PK some more carries, get, they brought sharp in, but they were so predictable when he was in, it kind of hurt him being in. Um, I feel like that part of the game got overlooked because it was maybe a little bit harder work to see success versus letting Kurt wing it all over the place, um, which worked great for this season, but I think hurts us long-term development. So um, hopefully that's something that we see flipped on the, you know, flipped on his head next year, because, you know, unless there's some transfer we know, don't know of yet, most of the guys that we're looking at it probably being our quarterback next year, are going to have to rely either on their own running ability or our running ability to allow them to pass the ball. Yeah, I would agree with that. One last thing before we move on from football. Um, I, I want to make a note. Like, I'm not a red shirt everybody kind of guy, and I understand that there are sometimes, especially in a transition where you have to play some dudes. So, like, if they evaluated and said, okay, especially because if you remember, there were those early season games where, where like, special teams was, like, a huge question mark. And they were getting hurt all over the place and they were making changes. If they decided, you know what, we got to give these young kids burn because these are our best options. And given the situation and given the depth that they have, it wasn't like they had an abundance of defensive backs that they could plug in on special teams. You know, they were down a couple guys. Uh, I mean, because look, uh, Robinson was was basically on academic suspension. Lattimore never got healthy. Tim Harris was out for the year. Um, other guys were, were, were because of that pulling a lot more duty. Um, and so it made sense that like they had to lessen some loads and if they had to lean on some, some of these young, younger players, it makes sense to me. But at the same time, if you're going to play them for special teams, it just seemed like, it just seemed like to me, you had one of the things that they just never really tapped into today's point. You just never got the sense a lot of times watching them that they ever factored the running game in. Like it was, it was almost like they ran the ball just because they had to, not because they thought they could ever do anything with it. And I thought that it really, it really forced them into a box because it made them super one dimensional. They did some nice things in the Miami game with it. I thought they were, once they decided to get Joe Reed more involved in the run game, once they decided to get Zacchaeus more involved in the run game, good things happened. But again, consistency wise, you need to be able to pick up four to five yards on the ground every now and then. And you had the bodies to do it, and you had kids who were available. Um, so like I said, I'm not a red shirt, everybody. I'm not going to bag on them. I mean, like if ultimately, you know, it helped win them a couple games, Hey, that's, that's worth it. If it, if it, if whatever they had to do to get to, to, to six wins, to get that bowl, uh, spot and get the extra practices, whatever they had to do to get there, that's great. Um, I understand it. Um, but I also think like it was just a missed opportunity and I see those kids, uh, playing and I, you just never heard from them. Um, and I think that's, you know, somewhat sort of problematic. Um, let's shift gears and move to basketball. Um, I just want to get some general thoughts about the, the seven and zero start thus far. Um, anybody who may have clicked on this may have seen that I did mention, we were going to talk about UVA basketball, Twitter, um, which for people who don't follow Twitter are going to be like, what? Um, but, uh, Ferber, let's start with you. What do you, give me some general thoughts about the seven and zero start. Is, are you surprised at all? Is this about what you expected? Do you do you have some concerns? You like what you're seeing? Kind of where's your mind at right now with this team? Yeah, I mean it's somewhere between uh, better than I expected and what I expected. I thought there was a chance it could get out to a fast start and not lose a game early, but I also thought with the uh, schedule that they had in front of them that it was possible that they dropped a game or two. They did avoid Seton Hall, which I think would have been a challenge, but uh, they got a good Rhode Island team instead and were able to beat them. Going to VCU is going to be impressive. Uh, down the stretch, I think that team was a little bit better than I was anticipating uh, when I saw them live. So I think those are good wins. Uh, Vanderbilt, I don't know. Uh, they're kind of up in the air right now. They don't look so great. Uh, but, you know, all the same, that's that's not too bad. Um, and then Wisconsin, you know, that's going to be a tournament team. I know they're they're having some, you know, they had a brutal schedule so far this year, some up and downs. But um, I think by the end of the year, they'll they'll be rounding into form. So. Honestly, I mean, I, the, the the offense struggled in the in the game against UNCG and then, and then again uh, on Monday night. But other than that, I thought they've been okay. So um, I'm not too worried about that at this point. The shots just have to fall pretty much, and 
Um, and the defense has been good. So I, th- I think uh, pretty much where I thought they'd be. And uh, we'll know a lot more when they play West Virginia on Tuesday night, I think. Yes. 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 I was looking at the – sorry, I was looking at the calendar. Um, Dave, what are some of your early sort of uh, takeaways, what have you, about uh, about the Wahoos? I mean, I think they're – to me, they're a little better than I expected them to be right now. Um, like, you don't know like, – like Justin was saying, you don't know the quality of opponent you play this time of year until the season kind of hashes itself out. Um, but for me, like, I – I saw the upside of this team and and Kyle becoming a more prolific scorer. Um, Devin, Isaiah, and Jack kind of holding the defense down, whether on the court at the same time or in with the younger guys to get some of the more offensive weapons on the floor. But, I mean, I think the number one thing I've been most encouraged about, despite Kyle's great play, has been the emergence of Devin as a consistent offensive weapon. Now, we're only seven games in, but he's showing some stuff we haven't seen, like, you know, his ability to, what did, like, oh, I know you did that interview with someone in the preseason, Brad, what did they call it, off two, the off two offense or whatever? Yeah, off two, like, yeah. You're seeing it, like, it didn't make any sense, but everyone's driving with more control, and, and for Devin specifically, you know, he, he kind of had a tendency to, to get to the basket, but get there without control. Now he's got that right-handed, you know, little short shot and the lefty short shot. Um, for me, his play has kind of elevated everyone around him because it gives you so many different options um, of how to mix and match the team while while getting the scoring and good defense. Um, like I, I know everyone was excited for Jay Huff. It, it became pretty apparent Jay's got some a lot of upside, but a lot of uh, defensive you know inefficiencies. That'll be the nice way to put it now. Um, but Hunter, the exact opposite. I mean, what he's bringing to the team, even the nights he hasn't scored. A whole lot. He brings a lot of versatility, similar to what Wilkins has given us, um, but with a longer wingspan. So it's it's an exciting team. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of great play from Ty, just kind of steady play. Uh, so I, I'm encouraged. I think we're a little further along than I thought we'd be at this point in the season. Um, but you know, I think Tuesday will tell a lot. Uh, I like I like what Dave said about them being further along. I did not expect them to be at a place where they were the number one defense in the country. At this point, and I definitely did not expect that that Dev would have made the. I mean, like I always thought he was a good piece. I just thought he was a good, reliable piece. He's kind of looking more and more like a go-to sort of guy. And between him and Kyle, if if they can have that punch and continue to get the kind of defensive effort they're getting from everybody, I mean, there are definitely times where I look at the lineup on the floor and think, "Gosh, how are they going to get points out of this?" Um, but there definitely not, aren't that many times where I look at the lineup on the floor and think, man, how is this group going to be able to defend? Um, DeAndre has been even better than I expected because there are times, I've said this several places, but like there are times that like he's defending on the elbow and like he spreads out, as, as Tony likes to say, and he looks like the varsity guarding the JV because he's inevitably guarding some poor guard. Like that poor kid from Wisconsin. Like there were times where he was just in his own head. Um, because he just, there was just nothing he could go, he could do. He, he was, he was like, he, he was basically like incapable of doing anything with the ball because there was always like an arm there. Um, and I think as, as Dre gets more comfortable, he, he, he has an innate sort of organic, um, way to, to sort of, he move his feet. Now he told me after guess it was after the Austin P game that that's not something that's come natural to him he has to work at it a lot but he seems he looks fluid doing it so when you have an Isaiah Wilkins like perimeter defender who can do the all the things that DeAndre can do and you have Wilkins behind him uh, Salt has been I think better than I expected I think overall it's good returns I mean uh, you know Ty has not played particularly well he's been good in spots uh, I thought I thought it was a really nice thing to see both. Kyle and Devin go into the to the hole as Dave mentioned you know they they're figuring out ways to get essentially easier baskets um without uh having to rely so much on the on the jump shot I mean that game Monday night that they that would have been a game they lost by 12 last year like they just would not have been able 
to get enough in the lane, to get enough around the around the rim, even against a team that was struggling to to score itself. I, I just think that that's a that's a sign of progress. Now, how they play against Press Virginia, um, how they play, you know, thereafter, um, what they get Lehigh on Saturday, then they go to West Virginia, um, they get a break um, for a little bit, um, you know, for what a week and a half or so, and then they come back home for Davidson, which is going to be an interesting matchup. Um, and then they get uh, Savannah State and Hampton before they open ACC play on the 30th against Boston College. Um, I, I think so far the returns have been very good. Um, now, one thing we, we I mentioned, um, we wanted to talk about UVA <laughs> Twitter, which is going to actually be more of a kind of a, a, a macro discussion of just about the way fans handle the discussion about this team. And I said something the other morning after the game, seeing so many people getting like so frustrated. And I'm like, listen, there are going to be people who just don't like UVA style. That's just going to be a thing. You either choose to listen to it and let it bother you, or you just don't, you just don't care. And you, they're, they're essentially never going to give UVA credit. Um, UVA was averaging 70 point, 70 some points a game going into that matchup against Wisconsin, right? Even if you took out the 93 points that Austin P scored that they scored against Austin P it's still in the high sixties. All right. There, it's not like they're averaging 35 a game, right? And they, they do have a night where they w- didn't shoot well and they still won by 12 because they held the other opponent to less than 40 points. Um, and they won a game without shooting a free throw. Like, I actually kind of feel like, in a way, it sort of actually showed, like, you know what? They don't have to just live by the three. They can score points in and around the bucket. Like, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I want to start with Ferber because I know this is a, a topic that's near and dear to his heart. Um, talk to me about UVA Twitter, Ferber. Talk to me about your frustrations with that with the things you see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. I understand that people don't like to see their school not liked um, or – perceptive or, or that way like that's what it seems to them anyway um you know in in twitter in general there's just a lot of there's a lot of hot takes there's a lot of like let's all gang up on the same thing there's a lot of schadenfreude out there all that good stuff there's always going to be people that are going to bag on their style even if they're scoring 70 points because it's just a thing it's like a it's like a a meme or whatever you want to call it at this point that they play slow and it's boring. We get it. Ha ha ha. The thing that I will say is that this season up to this point, for the most part, UVA style, I mean, their, their adjusted tempo numbers and stuff are still among the the slowest teams in the country. Uh, Anybody who thought, you know, like UVA is going to play faster. UVA is going to play faster. I I get it. But I I mean, I knew this was going to happen. This is the style that Tony Bennett wants to play for the most part. They might get out a little bit more in transition, especially when Niles is on the court, but it's not going to be enough to, to change anything, you know, from a number standpoint, this is what I'll say. You have to, you know, you have to let some of this stuff go. I mean, the other night, that was an ugly game. Sorry. It, it just was like the shots. I mean, look at the shooting percentages. They were bad. I mean, it was a poorly played game on the offensive end of the floor. That doesn't mean that the defense wasn't good, but even like UVA was getting open shots and missing them. Uh, Wisconsin didn't have as many open shots. So you can credit UVA's defense for that, but that's not the type of product that people are going to want to watch. You, you can't just expect people to watch that and be like, yes, this is good. <laughs> Neither team has hit 50 points. That is good. And I understand that, like, you know, you want your defense to smother the other team. And it is awesome to watch in person and on TV. Like, the team, you know, five guys on the floor, they move as one on defense, and and they basically crush the will of the other team. I'm totally with you on that. But you don't have to just blindly defend the offense if they're playing poorly by saying, you know, it's team basketball or blah, 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 blah. I get it. Like, it's your team. If it was another team, it wouldn't bother you. But... People just are so sensitive now about anybody who's critical about anything, like the offense or, you know, like how are they going to replace the guys they lost from last year or, you know, the league is really strong. Is UVA going to be able to recruit with these guys? Th- th- those are all like concerns that people at the national level are going to continue to bring up. And at some point, at, you know, at some level, I think part of it at, at an ACC level is because teams are not used to teams like UVA jumping up and biting them. And they feel like it's a fad or like it's just like they're using some kind of 
you know, they're basically employing tricks like the triple option to beat them, and, and I get that. But you don't hear that kind of stuff about Notre Dame. So at some point, I think that it is a style thing, and people just are more inclined to like the faster, more up-paced style. Just because they feel that way and, and tweet about it doesn't mean you have to take it personally or, or whatever. So, I mean, I would just... If you enjoy watching your team play, enjoy watching them play, but you don't have to like make everything a war all the time on Twitter. And and and, and I two, say the same thing going the other way. Like right. not every you know national columnists and pundits, they shouldn't be jumping on UVA all the time for every game if they don't score seventy points. I mean sometimes they play slower, but it gets the job done. You know, I, it, but if Monday night, you know, you say, oh, this is like watching paint dry. I get it. It wasn't that great to watch. And I and you made a uh, you made a reference to the triple option, and I also I often think about that because I mean realistically, Tony has always said that he doesn't care as long as they get good shots, and they have made a concerted effort, and you can see it if you watch games, right? That they do get up a little bit faster in a game that they expect to be tight, like the Wisconsin game, like the like the UNCG game, like the VCU game, at least at times. Um, you can tell that they want to be very deliberate about the way they run their offense. He's much more likely to 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 be more want them to be more deliberate when the shots aren't falling. VCU they went a little bit fast and they got a little bit um, a little bit uh, loose around turn three, so to speak, and yet they were making shots and and so there was really no reason to slow them up. Um, so I kind of feel like in the big scheme of things, the bottom line is like this. You're not going to change somebody's opinion of UVA basketball by being a UVA fan who goes at them. That's just not going to be a thing that happens. Like, and I'm not saying you shouldn't defend your team. I'm saying spend your energy being excited about your team rather than, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're excited about your team and you like the style, be excited about and like the style. Like, you don't, like, you don't have to change anybody's mind you're because it's not going to happen like you're not going to get at some of these ESPN or national basketball people and be like well you know if they're saying what they're saying it's just it's not gonna it's it one thing it, it shouldn't have an impact on you because you're a fan of the team um, I understand that there's always going to be a thing about sticking up for your own and, and protecting you know what you what you feel like is is yours especially if you're a student that you know you're somebody who went to UVA or you're a student that's at UVA I get that but on this bottom line, it's like you're not going to change their mind. The only thing that's going to change their mind is UVA won a national championship. Like that's it. Is to is to look at the Ken Palm and say, "Yep, this team was at wherever, whatever in 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 possessions per game, and they still won a national championship." That's the only the only way. And the and the reality too is that like until last year, you didn't hear this stuff. You know why? Because they won. Because it's hard for for haters to to stand up on soapboxes when the team is winning and being successful. Um, it was rough last year because of the sort of the way it ended and especially the last game. And the, every time this season, when UVA plays a, a, a even quasi-quality opponent and doesn't score well, that's what's going to happen. It's your choice whether or not you get sucked into it or not. Dave, you've been uh, we've we've held you quiet for too long. Thoughts? Well, first of all, on the <laughs> it, it's Twitter. I mean. Most of the, Wait, not most quite, of the people. Uh, we, we're talking about Twitter, but it's also so. I mean, like it's Facebook too. Like it's there too. It's just we're we're not yeah, quite yeah. as as taken as much yeah. part and of articles, of course. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's but true. I mean, like, but, look, you, but like you said, real quick, I like two three years ago. I mean, UVA was getting like free publicity from everybody who was saying yep. how Tony Bennett was one of the best coaches in the country, and they had this young core of players, blah blah blah. And then it turned because they they didn't win as much, just like you said. Uh, in my book, Virginia's won plenty. I mean, the, the reason they write these articles and the reason they tweet this crap is because they're going to get retweets from every other fan base, not just Virginia. I mean, that's that's the world today. It Content matters nothing. You know, quality of content matters nothing. Accuracy of content, content matters nothing. It's the number of impressions. Hey, now, I, that's I, what your I, I, uh, I take offense to that. No, go ahead. Well. That's not quite your model, Brad. No, it's you know, not. That's, that's, the, that's the way it's going. So take it with a grain of salt. And this isn't college football. I mean, this is college basketball. They can say all they want, um, but we we play in the ACC. If Virginia wins what they're going to win, they're going to get seated high in the NCAA tournament, and they have a chance to prove them wrong. They're not going to miss the playoffs committee because someone thinks they played bad basketball. Um, a lot of it's ignorance. I mean, of course, yeah. We've talked about this at nauseum. Like, of course, Virginia is not going to score a lot of points. It, it takes the other team 25, 30 seconds to get a good shot off. There's not but so many possessions you can have when you force that every time. Um, and to me, that part of it, 
just let it go. I mean, at least they're talking about you, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's the that's the part of it too, right? The whole idea that no uh, no press is bad press. Listen, yeah. I, I kind of think too, like on some level, um, it it just it 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 touches a it touches that special place for me where I'm like, the perception of other people doesn't change anything, right? Um, typically we think of sports as entertainment, right? It, you're essentially, you're, in, you're, you're interested in your team. You, you always want other, it's like, it's like recruiting, right? You want to recruit nothing but five stars because it's a game, right? You want to, you want to, you want to have a great recruiting class and say like, Oh, I got the, you know, the third best recruiting class in the country. You want to be able to say that you want to be able to say that everybody, you know, your team's high in the post. It's like when they weren't ranked and everybody's like freaking out about them not being ranked. And I'm like, who cares like this time of the year, but ultimately I get it. Like fans for them, it's a, it's, this is their, this is their passion. They're, they're excited about their team. People aren't respecting their team. It's hard for them to not step in and and try to make that happen. But my point is like this, what's Myron Medcalf ever done for you? Like no disrespect to him. I'm sure he does a great job. Dev never read a single one of his articles. Um, but everybody seems to like, I see, I see his, his stuff thrown around and I'm just like, why do you care? Like, why does this, why does this person or that person, like what makes them because they have an, uh, ESPN or I guess he's at the, is he at the athletic now? Like, because they have an email address that ends in that or a Twitter handle that like he, like he, he. These guys, obviously, they they're in they're they're sports media folks. They're in the game, but they probably you see more Virginia basketball than they do. They see like one game every like three weeks. You see every one, like you're probably a better gauge of where your team is um, than the guy who you know who's looking for you know eighty something eighty something games, and that's the you know the way basketball is supposed to be played. Ferber made a good point earlier. Like we, you can say that Monday night's game was not an attractive game to watch, right? Because in a lot of ways it wasn't. It didn't have any flow. Nobody's making shots, and some of that's because of Virginia's defense. But a lot of that was just because Virginia's just missing, you know, shots that the, the Cavaliers should make. Um, and then some of it too. I, I thought, I thought the officiating was a little bit uneven. Um, I, I didn't. It just the game didn't have a flow. It wasn't a very fun game. Plus, it was nine o'clock at night. Um, but like you can say that that wasn't a fun game to watch. And also too, like Virginia's style is not garbage. Like. Nobody goes up to Paul Johnson and says, your style is garbage. You know what they say? Man, it's really tough to prepare for the triple option. And they freak out about how much you're going to be able to prepare for the triple option. And then, t- and then Paul Johnson freaks out about if you get a bye before he plays, you get to play his team because he's worried that you're getting extra time to prepare because he runs a triple option. Like, if for me, Virginia basketball should be essentially that of, of college basketball. Like that should be what it is where it's a thing that's feared. And I'm telling you, when you talk uh, the coaches who come through that media room, trust me, they, they're not, they're not out there talking smack about it. Yeah. Sure. They might, you know, tell a recruiter to like, Hey, you don't want to go play in that cause it's boring, but that's just them talking up their stuff. Like, they're worried about the pack line. They're worried about playing a defense that, that is already shown to be this good. Um, be excited about that. Don't, and, 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 and in some level, like if, if they want to make you out to be the bad guy, revel in it. You know, I mean, I grew up a fan of wrestling when I was a kid, the heels were always the, the most fun. Like, like be the bad guy, be the one everybody likes to hate. Um, there's a, there's a freedom in that, you know, embrace it, go with it. No, just celebrate. Like, you know, you know, for me, if your team scores 65 and they win 65 to 50, celebrate it. Like, we scored 65, we won by 15. Like, to me, that's more impressive than winning 92 to 82. I mean, and that's not your cup of tea, fine. I, I, don't, I don't really care. I mean, that's just what it is. Don't be so thin-skinned. Embrace what we are. Um, trust me, and I know the argument we haven't brought up is that it hurts recruiting, right? Trust me, the dude who's not coming to Virginia because people think our basketball is ugly is also the dude who's not going to handle Tony Bennett making him earn his minutes because he doesn't play defense. So it doesn't really matter that much. And it didn't seem to hurt him in the 2016 class. I mean, no. I mean, and look, if you watch I me mean, like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, they don't seem like dudes who want to go slow. They, I just think bottom line is like if if the thing is cooking and you guys are making shots – um, they have an offensive-minded kind of team right now, and they're playing pretty good defense. When the when the other part kind of catches up, when guys are you know finding their rhythm and roles are defined and, and things are more fluid, I, if they start – I mean, like I realize it would be like some seismic shift in the world, but if Virginia started scoring 75 a game because they were just executing pretty well, and a lot of, a lot of dudes that were fresh bodies and Tony figured out a nice kind of um, rotation, uh, 
it's not going to change what they do. Like it doesn't change who they are. It just would change people's perception. And, and ultimately the only way that matters is, is in terms of rankings and ultimately college basketball, the rankings just kind of don't matter. Like it matters what you do, who you play, where you play, how you, how, and, and how you, and how those results turn out. Anyway, Ferber, we'll give you the last word for tonight. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to kind of hit on what you said. I mean, the coaches, those are the opinions that I would kind of pay more attention to because those people are, you know, they're in this every day. I mean, they know, I mean, like I've never heard a coach come through that media room, like you said, and not be like unbelievably complimentary of, of and, and relieved that they're done. Right. They're always so relieved to be the heck out of there. Yeah. It's just like a one-off game for them. But then it's like, I honestly think it's like the, the, the reason that people get so bent out of shape is because there's this desire and every fan base is like it. I mean, look at Tennessee and their coaching search with John Gruden, right? You know why they want John Gruden? Because they want to, they want like verification for themselves that their job is worth him. Like they want to, they're like, oh, he likes us enough to come here because our job is a good job. And it's like a justification. Whereas if you actually look at other coaches they could hire, they're more qualified than him. There's no doubt. But that's my point. Like, it's like this desire that like we have to be like, like it's so bad that people don't like us. Like, who cares? And also, do you think recruits are reading Rob Doster and Matt Norlander in their spare time? Like, they're just not. Like, that that's so disconnected from the world they live in where they're playing basketball and hanging out with their friends and doing whatever else they do. Like, if, if recruiting is your problem, you should be more focused on like the selection of the recruits and, and, and how are they slow playing recruits or, or how is that all shaken out more so than like, Oh, some dude for CBS sports.com just wrote a piece about how we're not playing fast enough to win games or, or whatever. Um, that sort of stuff is just not that important in the grand scheme of things. And I, I wish people just wouldn't get so bent out of shape about it. And if you see something that you think is wrong, then I don't mind like people trying to, you know, contradict that. That's fine. Like I get that. That's part of what makes Twitter interesting, but you don't have to go out there every time and do it because then it just makes it look like you're blindly defending your team without any points. Like if you defend them when they do something well and it's like, well, the only one they scored 59 points and one, but it's like, yeah, but they just held their opponent to 35. I get that. But if you go out there when they play like they did on Monday and try to act like, well, this is what we want to see, then people are just going to laugh at you. I mean, honestly, that's just the truth. Like, you can, you can, like, like Brad said, both things can be true. It's like they play amazing defense. They're very efficient on offense. They're not just wasting possessions. But at the same time, I mean, if they play a poor game, you don't have to just go out there and blindly defend it either. They won the game, though. So that's awesome. And you could say, hey, I like the, that we're winning games and that's great. Uh, I wish we could have played a little bit better on offense, whatever. Both, both of those things can be true. It's like you don't have to die on every hill. That's That was my point. Right. Well, I think that's a great place to put a pen in it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that UVA Twitter doesn't go after us. Um. <laughs> yeah, please don't. I, I don't think I can take it. It's too. It's don't it's me. like the 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 vengeance of a thousand suns. Yeah, uh, and death by a, a thousand paper cuts. Death by Ken Palm. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I do want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show, continuing to to listen, and, and apparently check up on us when we haven't posted the 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 episode by Thursday at whatever time. Um, really appreciate the support and. Uh, when they say, as always, say thank you to Dave and Ferber for giving generously of their time. Really appreciate you guys uh, doing that for me. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.